If you could pick one word that really makes the Christian community cringe, what do you think it would be? And here's a hint. We don't like talking about it. It makes us uncomfortable. But we also know that God designed it for something beautiful. And in fact, we had a whole program about it with Dr. Cliff and Joyce Penner a few weeks ago, and a number of people reacted to that. Uh, We want to come back and talk about this topic, the beauty of this, in the context of marriage as God designed it. Hi, I'm Jim Daly. I'm with Dr. Julie Slattery and John Fuller. You're listening to Focus on the Family. And the word we're talking about is sex. Well, Jim, what's ironic is that word is everywhere. I mean, it's plastered throughout the culture. You cannot get away from it, even if you want to. Uh, John, in fact, you just shared a story uh, about a situation. Uh, Tell us about it, because the culture is pulling us in this direction. Sure. It's a Christian mom talking with a Christian teen daughter who is uh, doing a lot of blogging. The girl does a lot of photo blogging, and she reposts pictures she finds online, and as she's looking for these, uh, what I would call hippie fashion, not real high fashion, but hippie fashion pictures, she's seeing some stuff that mom is kind of concerned about. And mm. there's a Christian girl growing up in the church, knowing what holiness is all about, probably even understanding what sex is all about in the context of God's design for it. But there's still a temptation there. There's still a lot of dabbling with things that probably ought not be. Well, and the culture's grabbing for us and our kids in this area. And the fact is, if you don't talk to your kids about sex, if you don't talk to even your young adult children about the choices they're making sexually, the culture will determine what they believe and how they behave. And so it's so important that here at Focus on the Family, we address this topic and equip you as parents to know how to begin addressing this with your kids. And I know this topic does intimidate us, and it can also seem negative. But please, take it in a positive context. Uh, We know that some of you will write, and we understand it. I want to head that off at the front end here just by saying, as Julie, you just said, if we don't engage our kids and our teens and our young adult children in this topic, the world is shouting at them about what sexuality means. Uh, For us in the Christian community to be mature about it, God has created this beautifully for the context of marriage. And that's the way that we need to portray it for our children so that it is healthy and that it is a biblical approach uh, to the wedding bed. And uh, that's why, Julie, I'm looking forward to hearing your interview with Dana Gresh. Mm, I had a great conversation with Dana, who has really spent the majority of her adult years talking to teens about sexual issues. And this particular conversation I had with Dana sheds light on an aspect of sexuality that I didn't know until I read her book about this. And you're a therapist. I am, but it's something actually that's theological. Mm. It's the biblical word in scripture that's used for sexual intercourse between a husband and a wife. And it sheds so much light on why sexual activity is so destructive outside of marriage. And uh, she uses this word to make such a compelling argument for young men and women. Hmm. Well, we should mention that uh, Dan has written a number of books, 17, I believe, that deal mostly with this kind of subject matter, uh, sexual purity and modesty for girls. And She's a very popular conference speaker, uh, training moms and their daughters about these principles, and we've had her here on the broadcast a number of times. Here now is that conversation, uh, Julie, that you had with Dana, uh, primarily about the book, What Are You Waiting For? The One Thing No One Ever Tells You About Sex. I write about um, this wonderful couple that I knew. They came to one of my Pure Freedom retreats. His name is Wes. Her name is Stephanie. And just 
really, I think Wes received a great love for her. Mm-hmm. He approaches her, asks for her hand in terms of dating. And she says, no offense, but I think I'm supposed to only date God for the next few years. No guys, just God. And Wes struggled with this because he felt like he had this love in him planted that was a God love. But he went to a youth retreat and he really felt like at that retreat, the God of the universe asked for his girl back. Hmm. <laughs> that the God of the universe said, when I asked Stephanie to date me through high school, I meant it. Get your hands off. That's girl. right. So uh-huh. Wes obliged. It was, after all, the God of the universe speaking. I would have obliged, too. And um, he also began to wait, which is such a picture of God's love, how he is faithful to wait for us. In all of our wonderings and all of our learning, he waits. And what is so romantic about this true story is that um, he waited for three years. And he waited until the week after her graduation. And then he came to her and he brought out gifts, one for every birthday he'd missed, one for every Christmas he'd missed, and a journal full of his love for her and the faithful waiting that he'd done in those three years and they are in a beautiful dating relationship i've watched it bud and bloom isn't that the kind of love relationship we all desire for both our sons and daughters Mm -hmm. and it's the kind that deep down in their hearts they want too. you really could make a movie based on that plot line. We should make a movie based on that plot line, Julie. <laughs> that would be, I mean, because it's not, Hollywood's not making those movies. Yeah. And our kids are living out the kinds of love stories that Hollywood is making movies about. But you have taken the complicated topic of sexuality and how the world is distorting it and boiled it down to one Hebrew word. Yeah. Well, I haven't. God has. I just found it. <laughs> All right. And when I found it, I was like, I can't believe the church hasn't been speaking about this. What kind of treasure is this? In fact, I didn't write the book for eight years because I thought, surely somebody really important and smart like Julie or <laughs> <laughs> Jim Daly would have written this book if I hadn't found this wonderful secret. But I, I vetted it by many um, theologians and said, am I right about this? Is it possible? We have this incredible secret about God's theology about sex. And we haven't been talking about it. And they said, yes. Okay, I think now that people are listening, you've got our attention. We want to know what the secret is. So spill the beans. Well, I was kind of, you know, talking about sexuality a lot, um, traveling and teaching about it, and just kind of saying, God, you know, uh, do I get it? Is this it? Like, what I'm speaking, am I missing something? And I just prayed. I said, God, just blow me away if I have missed something, if the church has missed something. And I was flying to Atlanta right about the time I prayed that. I remember being in the airplane, opening up my Bible, reading Genesis 4, where it says, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth. And do you ever have those times when you're reading God's word, you're like, Irk! like there's something here in this verse that before has meant absolutely nothing to me. You ever have those moments? I have, and I can't <laughs> imagine why you'd stop on that verse. Exactly. It's a pretty boring It's one. an odd one. Well, you know, I stopped. I thought to myself, he so was not just laying there. (laughs) Like this was not a passive moment in Adam's life. This was 
Well, it wasn't passive, was it? Mm-mm. So that word just didn't sound right It didn't to you. sound like a good translation, no. So I got out my Hebrew dictionary and found that the Hebrew word there was the Hebrew word yada, which I thought was sort of funny because, you know, modern culture has made this word blah, 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 boring, boring, boring. I wanted to say, well, it's not so boring after all, is it? <laughs> so it means this, and this is where my journey began to unlock God's heart. Yada, yada, correctly pronounced, means to know, to be known, to be deeply respected. Hmm. Not one mention of anything physical happening. It transcends those things and goes to some kind of an emotional connection. When we see sexual intimacy happening in the scriptures in the context of a holy marriage relationship, one man, one woman, we see the word yada showing up. When we see it misused and it's not within the context of marriage where there's a lust involved or it's incestual and obviously heinous and sinful, there is a word um, shakab, which means it's just a physical thing. It's a euphemism for sex. It means to exchange body fluids. And when we misuse this gift, it just it downgrades it to something just physical. Mm-hmm. And yet in the context of the holy marriage relationship, it's this profound something that transcends what's happening in the physical world. And so this is the beauty of it, though. From Genesis to Revelation, I've traced the word. I've circled every occurrence of it in the scriptures into its Greek counterpart in the New Testament. And while it is used frequently to describe the intimacy of a husband and wife, it's used more often in verses to describe our intimacy with God Hmm. in verses like be still and know that I am God. Wow. This blew my mind. This blew my mind because, you know, you hear about that, that Ephesians five, that the marriage relationship is a picture of Christ in the church, but it's not like God just said, okay, Here we are in the New Testament. Let me figure out how to make you understand my love. He designed it that way from the beginning, from creation, from the book of Genesis. He said, you will not understand my love, but if I could give you a glimpse of it, a picture of it, a taste of it, it would be this pure and holy marriage relationship. When a husband and wife are in a place of shameless oneness, they know each other and they have respect for one another despite everything that they know. Mm Mm-hmm. That is a picture of my love. Hmm. That's profound. Mm-hmm. Uh, it puts in context not just how we should be loving one another, but it also helps us understand why the enemy is so intent on twisting what God designed sex to be. Mm-hmm. Let's talk for a minute about how he's done that with, with offering us counterfeits of what God intended us to have. Well, and they really are counterfeits because if... The marriage relationship and the act of intimacy has the power to be a picture of God's love and the love of Christ for the church. How motivated is the enemy to see that picture destroyed? And so our kids walk through a labyrinth of temptation filled with grenades that Satan just wants to explode any ability for them. He wants to disable their ability to have this pure and holy set-apart relationship. And I think the most telling thing about our culture right now is just this whole friends with benefits, no strings attached relationship where, you know, movie stars, it's not just that they're making the movies, but 
these starlets and stars are coming out and saying, let's get real. This is what a relationship really looks like. I was so brokenhearted at one starlet that said, um, after she produced a movie on Friends with Benefits, I'm so tired of all those trite stories about um, all a woman wants is to get married and fall in love. That's not what all, all a woman wants. Some women want this empowered Anything that I want at this moment works kind of relationship, and they're giving voice to this, and our kids are listening. Help me understand that, uh, because I think you and I would agree that the heart of a woman is to want this deep knowing, to mm-hmm. want to be in the intimacy of a relationship with a man who's not going to leave you, who wants to pursue you lifelong, but yet we're hearing women say, nah. I think I'd rather go the world's way. What's motivating that? Well, you know, it's motivated by the flesh, bottom line. But here's where our hope is. We were talking earlier today about sex on campuses. And I think one of the most telling things is what they call the walk of shame and the walk of fame. Hmm. Do you know about these? Uh, I think you're going to tell me. (laughs) I'm going to tell you. Um, Maybe you've heard of it. If you are in the college community, you have definitely heard of it. The walk of shame is um, that walk that a girl takes, usually uh, Sunday morning about noon. She's been out partying all night, and there are these telltale signs as she walks across campus with no makeup and her hair looking a mess. She's still wearing a miniskirt and her high heels from the night before. What the students call that is the walk of shame because she probably is waking up from being in someone's bed from the night before. The fact that they call it the walk of shame speaks to what's happening really deep in their spirits. They're going along with the culture and they're saying, we are empowered women and we will be as sexual as men will be. We will be the aggressors. I don't know how many letters I get from moms who are terrified for their sons of aggressive girls. And our daughters are living that out. And yet, when they live it out and it's seen on the campus, it's called the walk of shame. Hmm. Because their hearts deep down inside know something's wrong. That's right. They yep. know this is not what I was created for. Of course, juxtaposition that with the fact that when a guy takes that same walk and he looks like he's in his party clothes from the night before, it's called the walk of fame. Now, I know that most of us aren't surprised to hear that contrast. <laughs> but if you stop for a minute and think about how it's viewed differently with men and women, why is that? I think what we see happening in the male and female emotion and psyche is that when a girl is sexually active, uh, maybe she's been in a relationship with a guy for a few months and it's over. She gets depressed. She is wounded. She hurts. Mm -hmm. And that's because um, I think one of the beautiful things about the way God designed the human body is that he designed it to be monogamous. He created in our physical being the ability to produce chemicals that makes us desire and protect monogamy. What am I talking about? Oxytocin. You're familiar with this chemical, I am. right? Yeah, yeah, I talk a lot about oxytocin as it applies to marriage yes. and the bonding that happens. It's such an eye-opening chemical. It is, uh, would you say it's safe to call it a bonding chemical? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a bonding chemical. I think one of the most beautiful things is that 
it, it happens in the brain anytime we touch, you know, holding hands, oxytocin, um, someone brushes your cheek with their hand, oxytocin. Even if, you know, if my husband just pats my head, you know, rubs the back of my head, there's just this, this little tiny download of oxytocin. But there are these two times that I think the the release of this brain chemical is so profound and so beautiful. One of them is during breastfeeding. Hmm. And just to think that when this mom and this baby are experiencing this great moment of nurturing, that this chemical is being released. Why? Because God wants them to be bonded permanently. That same chemical is downloaded between a man and a woman when they are sexually active. Mm -hmm. It's a very powerful download. If I could just kind of explain how powerful I was flying home. Um, I was driving to the airport being driven by a young woman in her, in, in her college years. And she said, I'm so glad that you, I got to drive you because I have a question. She went on to share with me that she had dated a guy through high school in the first year of college. For five years, she dated this guy. And they were very active in the abstinence movement. So they would often share publicly about the standards in their dating relationship. They had a beautiful, pure relationship. And they were um, just felt like their relationship had been had run its course and that God wanted them to move on. They remained great friends. And she said, I was sad. I was grieved that the relationship was over, but I wasn't a mess like I've seen so many of my friends be until recently. And she began to describe that she'd been in a relationship for a few months with a guy and the boundaries had been blurred. They had not been fully sexually active, but they had gotten as close as they possibly could. There was a lot of oxytocin. There was a lot of oxytocin because it doesn't take the full act of sexual intimacy for that oxytocin to be released. It takes us being very sexual. And she had experienced that. And she said, why is it that a guy that I've only dated for a few months, do I wake up every day? And I'm craving him and I'm crying and I'm in such a deep, dark depression and I don't even want to be in a relationship with him. That is the difference between her body becoming bonded to a dating relationship and one where she had a healthy friendship. Mm. Dana, we can talk about stories of young women that you've met with and heard from all day long, mm -hmm. but this is personal to you too. Uh, I know that you've shared here at Focus on the Family before, and you've shared in speaking about a mistake that you made as a young woman. Yeah. How did the oxytocin effect mm. impact you? Well, you know, I didn't know any of the, what you would classify as physical consequences. I knew the emotional consequences of my sexual sin. I was in one dating relationship in my high school years that became sexual, and I got very depressed. And my mom saw it. She didn't know what it was. I became very withdrawn. I didn't tell anyone, which was a terrible mistake. And because I knew the consequence of depression so profoundly, I would find myself in my college years writing in my journal, praying that God would equip and enable me to coach my daughter to never know this ache. Mm. You know, Julie, there's so many moms listening right now who've known that ache mm -hmm. or who are feeling it right now as mm. they listen. And I just want them to know that they don't have to live in that ache. I live in the healing. I live in the amazing healing, the transforming power of the Lord. The consequence was still there. 
but I was able to find healing. And in writing this book and almost everything that I've written, it's out of a desire not only for me to be able to coach my daughter to make better choices, but for that woman listening to be able to coach hers. And for that woman listening, uh, she has perhaps made mistakes. Maybe her daughter's made mistakes. And she hears you say that there's healing. Mm-hmm. What is the healing? How does she get it? Well, I think she starts with James 5.16, which says, confess your sins one to another and then you will be healed. I don't know that I've ever done a radio show or a speech without including that verse because it's so foundational to my life and my marriage. God's forgiveness comes from confessing to him and him alone. But so many times I find that women who have had sexual sin walk in isolation and they don't tell anyone. And I'm telling you, go tell someone today. Go tell your pastor's wife. If you're a young woman, go tell your mom. Don't carry that secret. God did not create you to walk alone in that. He created you to be healed. And confession is the first step in that healing. And then within the book, I really outline, um, because I believe that oxytocin creates what I call a soul tie, This um, what God designed to bind us to one person permanently has been misused. And now we need to fall upon God's grace through a plan of prayer. And so I just outline in the book some very practical steps on how you pray through breaking those ties. And you know, one of the important things is forgiving your Mm -hmm. sexual partner. Mm -hmm. It's one of the first things. And you can't really do that alone. I never recommend that a woman go through the prayer process alone, but that she has her mom or a mentor or even a small group of women that she can trust Walk her through that and just say that name specifically out loud and say, God, I choose to forgive this person. You might not feel it, but you can choose it. And in choosing that forgiveness, that's the next step in the healing process. And and God kind of allows the counseling and nurturing process of a little community of women to carry it to its full degree. Dana, that extending forgiveness is such an important part of releasing Mm -hmm. the bond that we create through sexual activity. Uh, there's a couple more steps to Mm -hmm. complete that process. What are they? Well, I really believe that we have been given authority in the scripture through the power of Christ and his presence of the Holy Spirit in us to break those unholy soul ties. And so I think after you've forgiven the sexual partner, you and the women around you just simply say, I pray, Father, that you would break these ties, these bonds that I feel to this person I understand that they occurred in sin, and I ask you to release me. And I really believe God begins to faithfully do that. For me, do you want to know how that showed up for me? Yeah. Every time I was in a really difficult fight with my husband in the first few years of marriage, I found myself thinking, well, what if I'd married that other guy? Would we fight? We probably wouldn't fight. Hmm. Do you know that after that night of prayer that I prayed this, I never thought of that young man again. Not once. That's powerful. And I didn't realize it for years. But it is. there's something to it. And every woman that I've led through this prayer has found power in that. And then the last step is just really asking God to reveal any lies you've believed about yourself because of that relationship. For me, the big lie was that God could never use me. (laughs) We know that's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) I just believed that my sin was big enough to disqualify me. And all the dreams I had... Be a Bible teacher, to be a missionary. We're just dead Mm. for 10 years Mm. until God came in 
his great forgiveness and cleansing power and said, not only am I not going to not use you, but I'm going to use you right in that place where Satan once took a blow at you because I'm going to show my greatness through your repentance. Well, that's Dana Gresh talking about what she learned personally about God's design for intimacy, which is obviously much more significant than we usually realize. And if you're the parent of a teen or a young adult, we'd certainly hope you'll pass along what you've heard today and learned about these important issues. Our program today was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly, Dr. Julie Slattery, and the entire team, thanks for listening in. I'm John Fuller. Dana Gresh has shared from scientific research about what happens in a woman's body when there is a sexual bond formed with a man. And we need to understand these things if we're going to protect our young daughters from being drawn into sexual temptation before marriage. I want to be prepared to talk about these things with my girls. And I would encourage you to talk openly with your daughters about this topic and find resources that will help you to navigate the journey with them. Dana has authored a book called What Are You Waiting For? If you're a parent of a young woman looking for honest answers about sex and wondering why it's such a big deal to God, you need to get this book for her. She will learn truth that will transform everything she thinks she knows about sex, romance, and God. And you can order a copy by visiting our website at safamily.co.za or by calling us on 031-716-3300. We're going to hear more from Dana Gresh on tomorrow's program, so I hope that you'll join us for that. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa inviting you back then when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.